This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome back to Practical Spirituality here in the Holy City of Jerusalem at Asia Torah. Um, I'm, I don't know what we're doing today's class on yet, but I just want to mention, someone mentioned Shabbos. They want Shabbos to be a more spiritual experience. A real ex- Sorry, did I say more? She's good. Does anyone want to have a more spiritual experience? You want to have a more spiritual experience this Shavuos? You do not. You want a spiritual experience. A more spiritual experience would mean it's not spiritual at all. It, but it's more spiritual than than usual. <laughs> yeah, that's why in general, in general, and I'm also like, that's rare that I'll say such a thing. Um, I'm still working. I've gotten rid of almost every word that, that, uh, that basically neuters life. I've, I've worked very hard to get rid of all the words that destroy things. Like, like gonna, try, become. You know, those words are basically out of my vocabulary. Um, I use them only in unique circumstances. Uh, but otherwise, just, you know, get the word try out of your life. I mean, do or don't do. Get try out of this. You know, like, no try. <laughs> You can, of course, of course. But right now we're discussing a goal, and when you're on goals, go with what you actually want. Not don't like don't try to become more accepting. Don't try to become more accepting. Right? Don't don't try to become more healthy, or or don't try. You want to be healthier. You don't want to be healthier, and you don't want to be more healthy, and you don't want to become more healthy. You want to be healthy, because healthier means sick, but healthier. And more accepting means judgmental, but more accepting. I mean, I've, I've included a few more people in my realm, but in general, everyone's out, and except for I'm now more accepting, so... Now I let a few more people into my heart. Like, modern Orthodox people, I guess I can tolerate. But secular people? Anyway, so just uh, just a quick word on having a spiritual Shabbos every week. There's a key word, and I did this for my kids. I did Kiddush for my kids, and I asked them, what is the most important word in all of Kiddush that tells us exactly why we have Shabbos? What's the most important word in all of Kiddush? So I, they, they tried guessing and stuff and said, okay, now I'm going into Kiddush. I'm going to start Kiddush. And your job's to figure it out. I saw they were getting nowhere as I was going. But uh, I decided to emphasize the words. And the words are Veratza Vano. Veratza Vano. Vano. The Shabbos um, means, and he wanted us. He wanted us. The reason he made Shabbos was because he wanted us. You can't get much more spiritual than that. He wants us. Well, what does it mean he wants us? He doesn't want us. I mean, what's today? Today's Wednesday. He doesn't want us? <laughs> doesn't want us on Wednesday? He only wants us on Shabbos? What is, what is this all about? And the answer is that he's very jealous during the week. You ever heard the terms, he's a jealous God? Oprah actually, Oprah Winfrey, like live on television, 
you know, I'm, I'm actually a big Oprah fan, but she kind of blew it on this one. <laughs> she, she decided that she can't believe in like a, she said, I, I, I think she word, used the words, I can't believe in God, but I don't think she meant that. I think she meant she doesn't believe in like the Judeo-Christian God, you know, thing. Um, why? Because the, because the Bible says that he's a jealous God. It says that in the Bible, he's a jealous God. One of the more beautiful lines in all of the world. I mean, how would you like to be married to someone who wasn't jealous of you if you were like spending an entire dinner party with someone else's spouse? You know, you want to you want to hang around that lady? You want your wife? You want that? You want to be married to someone who's not jealous? Why is she jealous? She's jealous because she's crazy about you. She wants all of you. She wants every last bit of you, and she's not willing to share any of that with someone else's wife. Jealousy is a sign that that I'm crazy about somebody, and anyone else spending time with them is is hurtful. It's one of the more beautiful things. It shows pure and absolute dedication. So God's jealous of our weekdays. Why? Because on weekdays, you're allowed to actually apply mental real estate. Like, you're actually allowed to slice pieces for things like shopping or uh, commerce or, uh, you know, troubleshooting in all kinds of ways or car, getting your car fixed or cleaned or something. Like, you're allowed to slice off areas of your mental real estate for that. Come Shabbos, he's like, nope. Don't do any of that. Don't do any of that. Keep all your mental real estate for me because... Because because I want you. I want you, and, I'm, and I miss you all week long. I miss you. When you're doing the other stuff, I'm glad you have me in mind, and I'm glad I'm kind of the end goal, because the reason I want to get my car working good is because I want to go teach classes, which I'm going to re- need my car for. And so I'm glad you spend all that hassle with the car place. You know, that's good. But how about we just get cars out of the sub, out of the subject line? Meaning, let let's just get cars out of this. Let's get music out of this. Well, of course, in the temple they had music, so it's, music could be in it. But hassling with it would be out of it. You know, let's get everything out of this. All the stuff, and let's just and we say it. Uh, Bat Shema. Hi, Sarah. I don't know why. I, I've always thought your name was Bathsheba since you've been coming to my classes in Israel. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. We say this. Hi, Sarah. We say this. In the davening, you ever uh, do Mariv Shabbos? Shabbos Mariv? You ever do that? Rarely. Okay. Women. By the candles. Uh, yeah, I'm Hasidic. My wife could pray the evening service about 30 times by the time I get home. Yeah, you're married to a Litvak. <laughs> you finish lighting the candles, he's already back from shul. <laughs> the cup, I'm about to say kiddish. I'm like, shh. Fire, fire, fucker. And he finally bursts out laughing. I'm like, what is it? He says, he says, Tati. Hi, Sharon Esther. Long time. He says, Tati. You didn't pray. You didn't daven. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, you didn't even do Kabbalah Shabbat. Like, you did nothing. I said, 
We were just four hours at the hotel. He says, yeah, and I was with you all four hours. He was standing right next to me when I was just... He's like, you never prayed. I'm like, I must have prayed. I was part of many different groups. And because I kept like going to that and going to that. Yeah, but you never, you never even got through a paragraph. You know, like, you've never... And so I, here we had guests. It's 10.30 kiddish. My wife's keeling over from dehydration. And I finally said, okay, everybody, speak amongst yourselves. I'll be back in 15 minutes. And I, like, I went into my bedroom and I was just like, you know... You know, I never prayed. I had no idea. I was, I was going to make Kiddush having not davened. So, the Kotel, Kotel's awesome. Kotel's awesome. And I, I never go. I actually took everything I had, but I, instead of hanging out with everybody, I actually went into the inner Kotel, where there's a, there's a group of about 500 men praying in there, and I don't know, maybe 200 women. I don't know how many women are up there. It's, they're inside that upstairs balcony thing. And... Uh, I forced myself to pray, and it was great. What a great minion. Probably one of the best minions in Israel right now is every week, Friday night, in there. It was incredible. And I think spirit, you know you got a good prayer group if it's spiritual for people who don't know what they're doing. I mean, if you could walk in there not even knowing which way to hold a prayer book, and you'd leave there saying something took place. Which in general, if I can talk about prayer for a second, in Judaism, mitzvahs and stuff, is... You should have felt like something happened afterwards, like something took place. Have you guys ever been swimming in the beach, like in the ocean? And then on your way home, you got this, there's a certain kind of feeling having swam in the, in the sea. You know, like something happened. Your whole body was enveloped, immersed in, in the ocean. And you come on your way home, something took place. And... Um, there's all kinds of things that happen to us where it's full immersion and you, you leave there having you leave there having this kind of self-reflection like something really happened. A concert would be a good example of that or, or perhaps a movie that really touched you or blew your mind or something. Like for the next day or two, like something happened. But how often is our prayer... We did it, meaning we, we are obligated to pray and we fulfilled the obligation but there's no sense something took place you know what I mean like you don't, you don't come away that something happened so I've I'm I've finally decided to like draw a line in the sand that that when I pray something happened you understand like I'm dedicated that that whenever I pray and this is even a, a lame prayer service meaning meaning it was 10 minutes to the end of the time that's the, in prayer there's a lot of windows of time that are moving so like I only had 10 minutes left before the window of time disappeared so I had to like like do the bare bones like skeleton of prayer without all the extra juice juicy stuff I had to do bare bones but even while I do those bare bones something happened I leave there something happened and we've all what? Are you saying like you're accepting that something happened whether you didn't feel it or not? No, meaning that meaning it's got to be moving. Right. It's I'm moved by this. This this moved me. I invested in a way that, and everyone's going to have their way that works. Some people might be melody. Some people might be um, more meditative experience. Like there was, they got into that kind of 
pure focus place. Um, for another person, it might be body movement. I know an alternative synagogue in Jerusalem where everyone gets their space and you just use your space. And do, you can do whatever you want in your space, and everyone does. And they're like highly experimental because they, these Hasidim, they're like full on Hasidim, you know, this is all Yiddish speakers. They have, uh, <laughs> they've been at this for a couple decades now, and this is like, the minion's now like three decades old. And, uh, you know, you just use your space. I found a talus on the floor there, and uh, I went to pick it up, and someone stopped me, and then I looked more carefully. I realized there was someone under it, and it was quivering. Uh, he wasn't bowing. He was just, I think it was like a little more fetal position, but he was like quivering down there. He, that's what he was doing for the least an hour. I don't know how long. And the funny thing was, and I never put it together, was I noticed the Rebbe wasn't at that I mean, I saw the Rebbe walk in at the beginning, but then I guess the Re- I figured the Rebbe had left for whatever reason he had to leave, the leader of the community. Long story short is finally this guy who was behind me uh, got up, and I look, and it's the Rebbe himself. It's the actual Rebbe. The Rebbe spent also my, my regular daily prayer group is also alternative. We do primal scream prayer. Primal Scream Prayer. Have you come yet to my... No. Oh, you have to come. This Friday night is kind of your last chance because Friday night's the 49th day of the Omer. So I, mean, I bruised my ribs there. And you know what it's like to have a rib bruised? You know, you know, it's hard to sleep. So I bruised my ribs just saying the blessing on the Omer, just counting the Omer in there. And you imagine you're, you're with... Uh, this Shabbos night, there will be, let's say... And probably between 800 and 1,000 men going for a full primal scream. You know what that's like? You think you can hear yourself? And have you ever done full primal scream? Very few people have ever done that. You know, they, they, you, you know, you have a voice inside. You'd probably have to come like three times to find it because it, it's not so available. You have to kind of find it. Um, but... I'd say people by their third time find it. And uh, but that's in you. You have a yell. Now think about what does that mean to scream on that level? A voice you don't even know. You've never met that voice. It's in you. I mean, you got that inside. But what is that? Come, what is that? What is that yell that you've never done? I mean, you almost like blow the windows out of this place with that kind of yell. You got it in you. What's that? Very therapy. Very therapy. It's actually, there's something called primal scream therapy. Uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono were into primal scream therapy. Uh, that th- Someone actually realized that that place you can reach is very healthy to reach and and get out. And they, they actually created a whole therapeutic uh, field around it called primal scream therapy. And so there's a particular Hasidic group that for the last couple hundred years has been doing it. I found that group and I was like, that's it, I'm in. You know, you know because if you think about, if you just, I'm a personal, my background is surfing and mountain biking and heavy duty parties, rock concerts and stuff, and me playing the rock concerts often. And um, it's, it's very um, frontal, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, it, it, it's, it's intense and it's... Um, Integrative and it's, uh, it's, I don't know how to say it, it's 
it's intense, you know, it's something happened. Something very much happened. And when I had discovered prayer, I'm sorry to go personal just for a second, but when I got to Israel, I heard the silent prayers of, of the regular synagogues where it's like a library, the prayer. You know, you just don't hear much. Once in a while you get a guy who's a little louder, but, but he's, probably being, he's probably feeling self-conscious because he's the only guy you know, making any sound. Um, and then you got Bali Chuva also, which are, you know, no offense to Bali Chuva, but they're, they're a little um, self-conscious about their pronunciations because they just, they're, are the muscles of Western Bali Chuva, you know what an accent is? Accents? Accents are, are facial muscles. They're muscles of the mouth. Your mouth is covered in muscles. And the uh, language has certain muscles you're raised with. So like if uh, parents, British parents raise a kid in Israel, and, you know, the kid's learning Hebrew in school, but English at home, he sounds completely British when you speak to him. He'll have a complete, the muscles are built for that. And, um, and obviously you can, have yo- you can have a yogic mouth. You know what a yogic mouth is? It's when you raise a kid in Israel, trilingual, which is how I raise mine, trilingual. My kids are raised in Yiddish. They got Yiddish in school, and all their friends are in Yiddish. And they uh, Hebrew from the country because just naturally you gotta you're gonna know Hebrew and English, but perfect English in the home with no accent in English, no accent in Hebrew, and no accent in Yiddish. Meaning no one can talk to them in Yiddish and think they're speaking to American kids. And when you speak to them in English, you'd have no clue they were born and raised here because most kids Hebrew here is atrocious. You know they speak like where was you? It's like Abba, where was you? We was waiting for you. You know, you get full American kids will speak like that. And, and the, 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 uh, anyway, kids with yogic mouths have three different languages, which means their, their flexibility of those muscles are, are amazing. And they, they just, their mouths can go with anything and it sounds perfect. Um, So I was talking about prayer is when I discovered the loud prayers of the Primal Scream group. I found these people and I heard them pray like that. I never left. I never left. I mean, I was learning at Asha Torah, which is library prayers. And, and I found these Primal Scream people. I just would walk out there every Shabbat. And, and once you do it, couple times once you break into it and then do it a couple times it's the worst thing but if you pray anywhere else you don't feel like you prayed and think about it and that's like it's like Super Bowl NFL prayer and now you're playing flag football you know flag football doesn't feel like football to an yeah it takes long because it's hard to pray loud uh, without a big breath you know you can't scream without a big you know and then, so it takes time. You know that observant Jews are the only um, people on earth that I know of. I mean, it could be there's some culture in some African jungle, but the, we're the only people on earth who pray, sorry, who, uh, who speak on the inhale. I mean, think about it. Even if you're whispering, you know, I'm whispering to you right now, but I can inhale and do that. So 
so you can go both ways. So what we, how did we develop it? We developed it when we wanted, we needed to pray quickly. See, I have to say all these words, but I also want to get going. So I've got a conflict. I've got a bunch of words to say, and I've got an appointment. Now, if I can somehow, I have to make sure I don't use vocal cords, because by the way, vocal cords only work on Excel. But if you whisper, you can actually train your mouth to move your lips in full pronunciation on the inhale. And what that does is it helps you very much because now you can get in and out of your prayer service without, without anyone getting hurt. You know, you get in, you get out. You know, you got, you, you break, it's not just half the time because when you're whispering, you know, and no vocal cords, you can actually pray extreme rates of speed. Now it happens that you automatically cannot have kavana which is, uh, meaning your brain can't be aligned with what you're saying. <laughs> Imagine speaking to someone while thinking something else. You're going to eventually start saying the stuff you're thinking about, which is dangerous. And you understand your brain and your mouth always are aligned. But when you're whispering something, your brain can go over there. It can. You can always pull it back, right? You can pull it back. But what happens when you're whispering at a rate of speed that the brain couldn't keep up even if you tried? Meaning if you're at a rate of speed that it's impossible to handle that, to handle the actual just basic definition of every word at that speed just because brains don't work that fast. So then you're automatically setting yourself up for thinking about other things while you do it. Automatically, because you can't think about that. You understand? There's, there's no way to get through those, the speed of those words at that rate with your brain involved. So by moving that fast, your brain's automatically elsewhere while you're praying. But what it's done is it's half the time you've got to be in synagogue and it's half the time you've got to make a blessing after the meal and all that stuff. And after a while, you've prayed for years and never been touched. Meaning you, nothing's ever happened. Remember, we're talking about things. I want to do stuff in my life where I feel afterwards something took place. I should feel touched. I should feel moved. I should feel something happen. And what happens is that we get a world of people who, who f nothing happened. They've been praying for years, three times a day, and nothing's happened. And it compounds on itself. Because after years and years of that, you actually just go numb. And, and then just nothing ever happens. And that, that's not good. So, when I just want to talk, when you scream something, you better believe it, baby. You know, you're not screaming something you don't believe. Like, let's say you scream something. At the, with everything you got, that primal scream, which would take, like if we decided we we're going to do that together, and like just choose ten things we believe in, we're going to scream all ten, we'd have to warm up an hour just to, and find the voice. Once you found it, then we'd have to ease into it, because you're going to destroy your throat if you're not warmed up. And we, even in our shul, we start, we start loud, but we, I mean, we start louder than shuls at their loudest, but it's not near the primal scream. Primal scream only hits it around Baruch Shama. And that's when, meaning midway through the first section, second section. So, what's beautiful about it is it's going to require an inhale. Well, while I'm inhaling, I can scan the words and say, what does this mean to me? Because if I'm going to scream this, it better be real. Like, this has got to be something that I consider of high importance. You're not going to yell at just anything. You can only really yell 
something of high importance. It's something that it's not just you're aligning your mind and mouth. I'm aligning my life to this. Like my whole life's getting aligned right now. Because you can't yell something that's not in alignment with your deepest truth. You get that? You're not going to be yelling things that's not aligned with your deepest truth. That that's not a, that's not an option. And so it changes you. It changes you. Praying like that changes you. You become uh, you become someone who who doesn't just talk ideas, but like if you actually sliced in, you would find those ideas in the flesh. You understand? It's 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 in there. Like you're, you and you and your worldview are have become merged you're, it's full integration and the, I, I feel like it's a highly worthwhile thing on the other hand uh, I brought a lot of people there I've never had anyone join <laughs> I'm the only one I've met who ever like actually said okay I'm in no one's ever joined which is kind of interesting everyone's left going like whoa some people are leaving like like their ears are ringing Maybe. I should tell everyone in the future, like, it's three times or you're a tourist. Three times or you're a tourist. Yeah, Ami, you want to ask some? Yeah. Um, Mind if I film you just for people aren't being too bored? Yeah. Got a couple of people online here. It, it hits a lot of people later, but no. Yeah. Yeah, what's up? Oh. Everybody, this is Ami. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Um, so people say, like, you know, be careful what you wish for. Like, personally, I feel like you know, I had like a really intense prayer and what I prayed for actually, you know, occurred, it came true, but it turned out being, you know, not for the best, Yeah. you know, um, and then, uh-huh. so now, like, every time I'm praying, every time I'm like, I'm asking for something specifically, I'm like, well, what am I doing? Like, what do I know? I kind of lost my confidence in, in, in you know, asking for Yeah, I'm happy to address that. Is that interesting to you guys? Like, like, first of all, I mean, it brings up a lot of interesting questions. One of them is uh, that you can pray for something you don't, that's not going to be good for you. And the answer is yes. <laughs> like, what's that all about? You know, God, doesn't God know what's good for me? And here I'm praying for something, and the answer is yes, about something not good for me ultimately. And like, I see empirically this has been bad. So, and, and, and so I'd like to just handle that for a moment because I think it's an amazing topic. And what is it? And I think we all know it from like the secret in America and stuff like the secret movement, uh, uh, vibrational radi- vibrational attraction and stuff, is that the, the creation is, has been created in such a way, meaning God made this place to cons- that the actual universe conspires to fulfill will. The creation conspires to fulfill will, desire, will. And think about the whole creation. I mean, what is this place if not the, the fulfillment of the desire of God to make it? I mean, that's the bottom line. There's nothing, there's nothing that precedes that. You know, like you want to say the world's made of words, you know, which is a Kabbalistic concept. The answer is yes, but words come way later than will. You want something before you ask for it, Right? Everyone wants before they ask. So, will is what the world's made of. So, God created the world out of will. 
and he willed it into being, and here it is. So, so he gave you the, the he gave you will, and it's not just we've been given will, but plants in a way have a will for sunlight, and you can see some trees in metropolitan areas that have like. They, they're shaped like this just because of how things were built over the years. They're like just trying to find that sun. And so in the end, their trunk is kind of like really trippy because it was just looking for the sun over the years. And then finally, like got tall enough to get beyond the canopy of rooftops. And now it's good. But the tree trunk's like, it's got a will. And you've seen those polar bears like that, you know, are like getting thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner as they walk for miles and miles and they're getting tired. But, but you know, it's not going to die it will make it and so eventually going to find some fish somewhere you know and its will will drive it and it will get it and um, I mean there's not a rarely you see in the news an epidemic of polar bears dying because they couldn't get any fish or something and the same the cheetahs and the um, but we've got a special kind of will more than the animals and the plants and and it is fulfilled so when you pray for something, that's will on steroids. When you pray, when you use the power of prayer for something you want, you've like, you know, you've put wings on that prayer. Sorry, on that desire. You put wings on that desire. And, and God fulfills even when it's against the greater good. Now, you have to be careful with what you want because you're going to get it. And this, the world, the universe conspires to fulfill will, to, to, to fulfill your desires. And he made it that way. And so for God to say no to something you want that's going to be harmful in the end, for God to say no about that means ultimately um, going against creation. <laughs> a lot of us think like prayer is already asking a lot. Actually, no. It's asking a lot to have the prayer not work. Because the creation was created that the prayer should work. Meaning, I got my will aligned. Now I'm putting that steroidal prayer part to it. And now it's, it's just going out there and it's going to be fulfilled. And, the, and the, you're asking a lot for it not to be fulfilled. Because God created the world to respond to will. And to respond especially to will with prayer attached to it. So... It responds. Now, why does God let that happen? The reason God lets it happen is two. One is because the... One is because you're... You're asking too much to have Him not let it happen because the world's created to let it happen. It's created to conspire to have it happen. It's pretty presumptuous to think that God's going to get in the way of his own nature, the nature of this place. And the other thing is that even though you feel it was harmful in the end, um, you're, you might be coming from kind of a religious standpoint in that um, a lot of religious people think that, that everything staying vanilla and good is, God's, is closer to God's will. But I, I like to say it like this, that God is a, God is a chaos uh, connoisseur. God's a chaos connoisseur. 
He loves chaos. God's into chaos. And now what do I mean by that, God's into chaos? God's into chaos because, you know, there's chaos and order, right? There's chaos. There's chaos and there's order. Order. And those are the options. Chaos and order. So God likes chaos. Um, tell me, what helps people evolve in their lifetime? Chaos or order? Chaos. Chaos. Chaos is where people shine. Chaos is where people grow. It wasn't the easy times of your life where you grew. It was in the more chaotic times. Now, everyone likes to play the chaos order game. Everyone loves that game. And we, and some of us like a little more chaos than others. And sometimes you go too far and you're like, I'm feeling insecure. And when you're feeling insecure, so you pull back a little towards the order side until you're bored again and you go back to chaos. So some people are big chaos freaks. You know, I'm pretty chaotic. My wife doesn't love it. You know, she's like, you have to be there in a half hour. I'm like, yeah. She said, what you're doing right now takes 45 minutes. Meaning this is, this is a conflict. She's like, you love chaos, don't you? And I'm like, busted again. And then I just stop what I'm doing and put my tail between my legs and go till I'm on time. And not 15 minutes late creating chaos for everybody. So, so we, I, I'm definitely more on the chaos side. And you also notice in extreme sports, is, what is extreme sports? It's just riding that fine edge. You know, they, you develop incredible skills to not die. And, you, you know, really precise movements that you have no choice but to succeed because else you're dead and no one's, no extreme sports enthusiast out wants to commit suicide. Yet he's in a space where his precision has to be tremendous, meaning there's tremendous order with extreme risk of chaos going on. And, and he's riding that fine line. And that's, that's I, I've always been drawn to that. And, and probably the only reason we're here right now with me up here and you sitting there is because of my great desire for chaos. That every time I've been in a society that the order got boring, I pushed the envelope. And I've already made it to here and, and continue to, I don't stop, I'm continually pushing the envelope. So, so God kind of likes chaos because you, we shine. Chaos is the sandpaper and you're the, you're the stone. You know, or, you know, chaos is the, the shining equipment for life. Uh, you know who's a good example of this is business people. When I call business people in America or they call me, whatever, we have to discuss something, but then they're like, by the way, you know, can I say, how's it going? By the way, how's it going? And they're always in some level of it's fine or all hell's breaking loose. <laughs> You know, yesterday I was on the phone with someone in Mexico. It was an all hell's breaking loose situation. And then I said, listen, brother, you, you love this. He's like, yeah, well, this is too much. And I said, well, I've also been in surfing situations where I was not happy right now. And I realized I'm surviving this session. This is a survival session. And I took one or two more waves and I got out of the water because it was too much. I said, but you love this. You're, the reason you're in business is because you love this. You could have just retired 20 years ago, you know, and lived a simple life of meditation. And you know, he's a spiritual guy. You could have lived a simple life. You'd have, had, you'd have plenty of money for the rest of your life. But you chose chaos. And you love it. And oh, he says, but it's too much. I said, okay. So let's, let's 
do some troubleshooting and see if we can reel it in a bit. But you'll find yourself back out here again, probably in the next year or two. Even if we get things under control, you'll know in you. You're going to make a couple decisions. You'll probably even not vet a person a little, you know, like people you have, you work with people. So you should be highly vetting the people you're working with so there's not more chaos. But we'll specifically sabotage the vetting process, agree to work with somebody, get millions of dollars on the line, only to find out that that guy, you know, really wasn't the best choice. And now there's, now there's lawyers and there's more money hemorrhaging and there's, you know, and all kinds of stuff going on. But you did it. You're the one who didn't vet him because you like chaos. So, so in a way, this is just your desire for chaos and the fact that you're even here right now. And what are you doing in Ashtar? Ashtar will only create more chaos for you. <laughs> We're here to create chaos for people. And, we, and because... And, you know, you could say like this, I mean, this is going to be an interesting statement. I don't even know how it's going to come out. But, but dabbling in Judaism is really heading towards chaos. And, and it takes a lot of courage. Uh, like it's a lot of courage and a bit of a, a penchant for chaos to do this. I mean, we don't even do birth control. And talk about chaos. I mean, you are setting yourself up, and it seems that God, like I said, God's a chaos connoisseur. What's the first commandment in the Torah? The very first commandment, you open the book, you know, be fruitful and multiply. Now, why did he make that the first commandment? Because he figured if you'd read that one, you'd keep reading. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's what I like to call an iceberg commandment. You know what an iceberg commandment is? You know, you see a little thing of ice outside the surface, you know, it's like, it's cute and sweet, little ice. Hey, look at that iceberg. You know, while you're on your little orca viewing ship, you know, you know, you're, hey, there's a nice iceberg. Oh, yeah? What's under the water? Like, four, it's, you're looking at the, uh, a 4,000 foot peak. And, uh, you're looking at 30 feet of the fourth, of uh, the tip of 4,000 feet of a gigantic mountain. And that's be fruitful, multiply. Looks like a harmless commandment. Fun to do. You know, why not? Love, you know, get married, fall in love, you know. Sounds beautiful. Except when you do that stuff and you're not using birth control, which is, you know, I don't notice anywhere around that commandment says to, to use birth control. You know, it just says be fruitful, multiply, which means keep at it. You know, just keep going. And... If you keep going, you're going to have the biggest amount of chaos that is within the realm of, of imagination. Like, how much more chaos could you create for yourself? So here, this rather benign-looking commandment that looks nice, you know, is the ultimate source of chaos. But how much will you grow through the raising of children? How, not, and I don't mean the 1.2 kid. You know, I'm not talking about family planning so you don't have to, like, buy a larger car. You know, you, you actually plan your family based on the three seats behind you and your wife. You know, we're not, we're not doing family planning based on the size of our car. <laughs> That's just not in the criteria of how big a family we want. And, 
And there's certainly no option of financial savings. Like, we're not allowed to say, hmm, well, we want this kind of lifestyle, so we should have this amount of kids, because otherwise it's going to be unaffordable. Just a small plug for making aliyahs, that you can have as many kids as you want here. And they actually start paying you per kid. And the, uh, but all of, um, of educational and, uh, and uh, health is socialized here. So you really can have as many kids as you want, and it does not affect your income that much. The, uh, what does affect the income is really feeding them that's, and clothing them. That does cost, for sure. But, um, but you know, rather than, sh- rather than showing a total lack of faith, let's figure that God's in charge of that. God's in charge of your kids' food and clothing. Now, of course, you're going to have to spend money when you go to the market. But, you know, God's not going to let them starve. You're going to, you, you will get by. And for those serious saboteurs who completely decimate themselves financially, um, you know, there are people like that. I think they're called kolel people. Um, but for the people who absolutely sabotage their finances, the, um, then there's chesed organizations that, like, will help make sure the family's eating. So edu- once education and uh, health insurance is covered by the state, I mean, you can just have as many kids as you want. It doesn't. All it creates is more richness, greater Shabbos songs, you know, lots of fun. I mean, you're, you don't have to be concerned about birth control and stuff like that. You can actually just enjoy. And it also, um, the, probably the biggest fringe benefit of it all is that, uh, is that there's, no more, there's no more separation of the couple uh, in, in, terms of, in terms of menstruation because... Because she's either pregnant or nursing, pregnant or nursing, pregnant or nursing, pregnant or nursing. You can go for decades. And it never, it never comes time for separation. And so, so some people think the separation uh, during menstruation times are, are romantic because, you know, you keep getting back together, you know, after the mikvah. You, like, get these reunions, which it is. It's amazing. But uh, some people say, hey, I don't really want to do that. You know, I don't want to separate. Well, okay, don't use birth control. <laughs> You'll never have to separate. And the, uh, you know, there's a lot of people I know, they're married 20 years, and they can count on one hand, in the, sorry, they've married many years, but they can count on one hand how many times in 20 years they ever had to separate due to menstruation. And the, uh, but it creates chaos. And when you have chaos in your home, you grow. You grow and they grow. There's not this like hermetically sealed bedroom for Bobby over there where he, Bobby's in there with his smartphone and like, you know, off in his own little cloud world. There are no smartphones in the hands of the children and there are no TVs anywhere and, and, and no one can afford a home that's going to put a, eight kids in a bedroom, meaning each one. In, you will have eight kids in a bedroom. You're not going to have eight bedrooms with a kid in each. And it just causes everyone to shine. You have to shine or you're not going to survive in a, big, in a home full of kids. It's absolute chaos, but it's sandpaper, and you're, you're becoming polished by this experience. You're becoming smooth and beautiful and incredible. And so, but it means as a father that you're going to have to earn. Well, what I thought this was Judaism. Isn't it about becoming holy? What a, I have to go be involved in commerce and all that it entails. 
answer is yes, because God created the world to have a dwelling in the in this world, not on the top of some Himalayan mountain by a bunch of celibate, you know, fasting monks. God doesn't dwell there. That's called leaving this place and going to God. God dwelling somewhere means that he's coming here. Well, coming here means that he's going to be involved in your life of commerce and accounting and lawyers and business and, and bank accounts and, and uh, you know, bills and all the details that are involved here. God, I mean, we have tractates of Talmud that go into all the legal stuff that's going to come up from that iceberg commandment. You meaning the first commandment is like, you know, this cute little iceberg, which becomes this massive amount of chaos because you're going to have to work. You have to be involved in stuff. You're also going to have to have proper marriage because, you know, you want to create a bunch of monsters by having, having eight kids out of wedlock with an open marriage. You ever heard that? Open marriage, Western open marriage. Like, like Jews, take your six tractates and throw them in the garbage because we're having an open marriage. And, you know, you're, we're just talking about, we're just talking about utter chaos, but then you got the Talmud to take all the chaos. And now, what does the Talmud say about this discrepancy you're having in the business that's paying for all those kids? What, and so you have Talmudic law. So the whole Talmud's there to handle the iceberg. So yeah, the Torah starts with the iceberg and then goes on. When I say the Talmud, Talmud's only after you click on the hyperlinks, meaning the Torah talks about all the commerce and all the dealings and all the ins and outs of dealing with this world when you have all, that, all those kids and all the chaos. So when you click on those words in the Torah, it takes you to the Talmud, which really goes into like incredible detail of how to deal with things. So the icebergs have the kids. Be fruitful, multiply but then you get involved in the chaos, and once you're in chaos, which is where you grow, well, how, do you, how are you going to deal with everything? The answer is you've got the Talmud. The Talmud makes sure that everything works. So it's like chaos and order dance again, like the mountain biking on these little thin precipices that I come down. Like it, we're back to mountain biking. So Judaism is really just big, one big extreme sport of a dance between chaos and order. Be fruitful, multiplies the chaos, and the, and everything that's going to come out of that is going to be the order. Sorry, the, everything that how you deal with all that will be the ordering of it. So that's why, like anyone who's coming here to simplify their lives, meaning coming to hear yeshiva or whatever, or to Judaism or whatever, simplify their lives, is usually the kind of guy who's actually asking for chaos. They like chaos. They know about the chaos order dance. And they know that the greatest times of their lives were when they pushed the envelope of order and went into some chaos. And chaos is where it's at. Chaos is where the growth is at. Now, you can have people who are extreme chaos people, and this is what, like, Jordan Peterson of Toronto talks about, is that he calls the left the chaos freaks. God's a chaos connoisseur, but they're chaos freaks. They, they're just tearing down all order. We can tear down all order. But what, he, what Jordan Peterson says is, let me, I mean, you, don't, you have to be in, you have to have, full historical amnesia to, to want that because every time there's ever been a government movement where chaos was what they went for by removing order altogether, like from a government down level, it was the biggest bloodbath in world history. Like that's when the bloodbaths happened. 
You don't want that, left wing. Like, don't rip away the, any semblance of order. Order's good. And, and, and now it could be the conservatives are a little too orderly. You know, and the, but, the, but, the, but the dance is... is uh, and he, by the way, doesn't consider himself a conservative. The conservative uses him as their champion, but he's not a conservative. He loves chaos. He's all about chaos. And we're all all about chaos. And the more you're into ca the chaos order dance, the more rich life is. Thanks for tuning in for another session of Practical Spirituality. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.